Hey everybody, we are Francis, Martin, and Robert, and this is Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Welcome back to Snakes and Otters. This is episode 40. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis in the captain's chair here. Pop culture is where we're at, gentlemen, and this is one I've been waiting for for some time. Yes, we know. Uh, you're all like, oh, sorry, sorry. We're going to talk the wisdom of Jean-Luc Picard. Yes, it's a, yes, another Star Trek episode. Thank you very much. Sorry, sorry. But this one is especially topical yes. right now because, and don't we wish CBS All Access was paying us, but... Uh, Picard, the new series, mm-hmm. is just launched. Mm-hmm. Only a couple of episodes have aired. Just one so far as of well, when we uh, are here. Uh, and Robert and I have watched the first episode. Maybe five episodes in by the time this records is, you know. Well, you know, that's a... We could, it's, so we're not going to talk about those episodes, which we obviously have seen. <laughs> anyway, spoilers, right? No, we're but, just simply going to say it's darn good. How's that? I did enjoy that episode. I, yes. I did enjoy the one I've seen. That's right. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's a particularly topical time to uh, talk pop culture about the character Jean-Luc Picard um, across, what, seven seasons of Next seven Generation? Seven seasons of Next Generation, that's right. Plus... Four movies. Four films. And what else? And now the new series. And now the new series. Which we, uh, most of which, uh, when we started talking about the idea of doing this, it kind of fell to me as the resident Star Trek episode guy to pull together some ideas. And I've got like two pages worth of options here of great Picard quotes. Uh, One of the great things about Jean-Luc Picard is the morality of the man, the wisdom of the man, the leadership and... The, the, the sheer principle that he always operates on. He is the best of what Starfleet has right. to offer. That's what you want to focus this episode on, is not not the series, not the, the actions of the character. Not at all. But we, we call it the wisdom of Jean-Luc Picard. That's right. And these are, we've got, a, we've got several, quite a few quotes we can pull from. We've each selected our favorites. But they're, they're quotes that may not always be the most memorable or the ones that require a context. Uh, there's the one episode, The Chain of Command, where Picard is tortured and it ends with him saying there are four lights. If you've seen the movie, if you've seen the episode, that's a powerful moment in the series. That's not what we're talking about, though, because that requires you having seen the episode and it only makes sense within context of the episode. These quotations we've given are universals. These are the things that address those eternal questions that we think the writers in the mouth of Jean-Luc Picard and through the performance of Sir Patrick Stewart, of course, really speak to why this character has captured our imaginations, why he has sustained himself for so long. And I think it's the backstory of all this that enables this new series to be, I believe, so very successful is because it deals with that. It's going to make that part and parcel of what it is. Picard is best when he is shown being that 
barometer of what's good in life. What's best. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What qualities about us deserve to be stood for? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think it's... Uh, to be reaffirmed. Yeah, something you brought up that, <clears throat> you know, these characters that we love in everything are a synthesis, I guess is the right word, of a lot of stuff. Not just the performance of the actor, but also the writer. And we do want to give some credit to, and I think we'll need to mention every writer. We've got it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's very important to give that credit to these writers. They're kind of forgotten to a large degree. Some of them are. a regular fan of any show, uh, any, any series that makes an impact, uh, whether it's Game of Thrones or mm-hmm. Big Bang Theory or anything. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Uh, Ron D. Moore deserves a lot of credit for uh, the later episodes, the really good ones. And some of the quotations we've got here are were written by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's somebody, especially if you know Bapti- uh, Battlestar Galactica, uh, which he's done after that. Uh, he's also done Outlander, the series currently. Uh, he's uh, an amazing creative force in Hollywood television. And he deserves a lot of credit for making Next Generation so good as it eventually became. Because he, he was showrunner by the time it was over with. And he and Brandon Braga and together really deserve a lot of credit. Yeah. They made it work. Yeah. You know, I'd forgotten about Outlander. But yeah, Ron, uh, Ronald D. Moore goes from Trek to... Uh, Battlestar. Battlestar. And then, and, then on and to Outlander. Outlander is a... Hugely successful and and wonderful show, fantastic. Series, yes, uh, based on a set of novels by what is the author? Diana Galbadon. I'm yeah. not sure I'm pronouncing her name correctly, yes. but uh, she's uh, the, hey, she's a great author. Uh, I've read several of the uh, of the books in the series. Uh, she deserves all the accolades that she gets. She's created an amazing universe, an amazing theory and concept, and that is brought to life by not only. The actors and all the people that work on that, but in particular, Rondi Moore deserves Moore, that. Yeah. And from what, and I've read many interviews with him over the years, and all the things that he's done, he's a, just a nice guy. He's a good guy. He's somebody that really supports people being creative in whatever way that works for them. Uh, he's given lots of advice in doing what he does over the years, and it's it's phenomenal to listen to him. He really is. That's another episode. <laughs> well, that's terrific. All right, I was starting. Pull out all my think nice things to say about Ron Moore there for a second. I thought we were doing his episode. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe we will. I mean, I like Ron Moore a whole lot, uh, and he's one of those great creative forces uh, that that does some good stuff. But we're talking about somebody he gave breath to. Uh, yeah. The words that go into the performance of Patrick Stewart, which we do not want to minimize his con- contribution to this, because right. one of the reasons that we listen to these great words is because they are delivered by him. Through the character, but also through the performance of Sir Patrick, which is, you know, that's part of it, too. It's a very compelling performance. These things are not in opposition to each other. They are all part of the big package. Yeah. Uh, But sometimes when he says it so well, we we listen. And that's Mm -hmm. one of these, what's what these quotations we're going to... We're gonna pull from you all from for you all tonight. Well, why don't you start with one of yours then? Oh, you get. Oh, I get to go first. That's right. I'm the captain. Well, you're the captain, so you have to go first. I I have to go first. Captain's prerogative. Very much so. That is that's another quotation, but we're not gonna we're not gonna go there for that one here. Mm -hmm. I'm actually gonna pull one from the first season, 
which most people go, oh, really? First season, Star Trek Next Generation? It's better than the second season. Well, yeah, it, it's just like all the seasons, there are some episodes that shine brightly and others that stink. Uh, this episode was kind of closer to the stink side, uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's a little—it's not quite as bad. Uh, it's from the first season, Justice Number Seven. Oh yes, that was a stinker. See, I knew you'd say that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the one. Uh, it's ham-fisted. It's very ham-fisted. It's the one where Wesley uh, Crusher ends up uh, falling into a bed of flowers and is sentenced to death on this alien planet. Uh, and there is an alien ship entity whatever that orbits it that is very powerful and it leads to some issues that we have to have and just to set this up at the very end picard decides well the prime directive is nice and wonderful but i'm not going to let them execute this boy uh, i do not believe what he has done warrants what's happening here and so we're going to break the prime directive because it's the right thing to do now i'm kind of condensing things a little bit but that's ultimately where we get to and they're about to leave this planet, and the transporter won't work. They think it's the alien entity that's interfering. And Picard, and while they're all down there, Picard addresses the audience, but also this entity, uh, on the nature of justice. And that's where the quotation comes in for. When this entity pro somehow prohibits them from leaving, he says, I speak now to any alien entity who may be listening. There can be no justice so long as laws are absolute. Life itself is an exercise in exceptions. And I thought when I heard that, the chills ran down my spine, I said, that's why I love Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> that's one of those amazing moments that states it so clearly that justice cannot be absolute. And if it is, it's not justice, it's something else. And that's yeah. what we do in life. There's justice that is justice of the state. Right. That's what that is. Exactly right. But there's justice that is human. Right. And that is where mercy tempers justice. Yeah, mercy, right. yeah. We talk a lot about things that have two sides to them. The same same coin. Uh, mm -hmm. Strength and honor is, is that justice and mercy... Are the same thing. Yes, you cannot have, separate them. You yeah, must not separate there has them. To be if that you same do, coin. neither one is is it. Well, well, neither one exists. Neither one. Well, no. Uh, neither one is just because justice, and from a very legal standpoint, yes, the law is this. You break the law, the consequence is this. That is that is a form of justice. It is not a moral justice right. all the time. That's what he's railing against. Yeah. Because uh, it is a despotism of, of a type. Absolutism is what he calls it, and that's exactly right. A punishment that does not fit a crime. Uh, well, a punishment for what really is no crime at all in this yes. particular case, but yeah. yes. And it also presupposes the fact that everyone, everyone, deserves their day in a fair in yes. court. They in even say in the episode that ignorance of the law is no excuse. Which is, you know, which is ridiculous. Right. Well, that's the, that's the person who is on the right side of the law. Mm -hmm. That's what they say. That's the person with the power, too. Yes. Yeah. So basically, this quote here, this is one that, that all the people that talk about decriminalization of marijuana should be all up into. Oh, do tell. <laughs> so, no, I mean, you're right. Yes. Yeah, I mean that should be, uh, you know, excessive sentences for small amounts of possession, 
is the same as oh, yeah. Wesley falling into flowers and getting a death penalty. Uh, you know, yeah, this punishment where, should match the severity of the crime. What does it actually hurt? So that's why in in a fair justice system, the transgression you commit should be met with a commensurate punishment. Absolutely. And that is the feeling today in the decriminalization crowd is that basically some people are getting substantial jail time for possession of small amounts of marijuana. Well, okay, well, take Patrick Stewart's face and put it on a sign and start marching with this well, quote. It's a, it. <clears throat> you can make a valid argument for that, especially in relationship to other crimes that are being committed. Um, yes. It is very easy to fill up the jails with those low-level crimes because they're the easier ones to, to catch and prosecute. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, so, yeah, you can make an argument just from a procedural standpoint that it is not a good idea to prosecute heavily those kinds of crimes because you should be spending more time on the more serious crimes. There's all kinds of different ways you could argue that mm -hmm. yeah. based on this principle. Yet, when uh, this probably delving more into a political thing than we ought to, but when Rudy Giuliani was having success as mayor of New York, it was because he enforced the small things. Fair beating. People jumping turnstiles on the subway. Uh, Malcolm me. Gladwell wrote a book called Outliers. Mm -hmm. Yes, I've heard of that book. Uh, yes, I've read it. He's, and uh, it is a fascinating book. And basically, it's it's not so much just about jumping fares and and you know the homeless and you know the the guys with the you know cleaning your windshields and stoplights squeegee and stuff like man, that. Yeah. Squeegee man. Um, it was it's about a a groundswell, a not outliers tipping point. He he, he did outliers. This is tipping point. Right that these little things that are unconnected add up. Yes. And basically, they were. Uh, one of the examples was if you repair all the broken windows of abandoned buildings in a neighborhood, things start changing yep. in the neighborhood. And all these little unrelated things uh, follow that same thing. So, yeah, you can make the argument, that, yes, taking care of the little things does help take care of the yeah, big things. Yeah, uh, prosecute the small things and suddenly people stop feeling the license to move up to the big things. That was Giuliani's point. Um, you know, is, is if we if we pay attention to the small things, the license to then to commit the big things uh, is, is restrained. Yeah, but that's not what you were talking about here. When you're talking about punishment fitting the crime... Prosecuting something with fairness for the commensurate level that yeah. it dissolves. Once you right, this, he's saying this is a counterpoint to that's that. That's right because it once you once you decide I'm going to make an example of this person, you have de just dehumanized them, and you have and fr and justice and fairness no longer exist because they are not a person. They are they are an, an instrument, an example now. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, and that's what's going on in that that episode that right. Picard is railing against. Uh, again, that goes back to you know the the episode may be called justice, 
but no one has the same definition of justice. That's right. Yeah. That's the It's a loaded problem. word, like fairness. Right. <laughs> That's right. It, yeah, it, it often has uh, connotations that are inserted within it right. to fit the nature of whatever somebody wants to make say. To whatever what is legally say. just is not necessarily morally just. Right. And that's the distinction. Yeah. Uh, it is legal for me to somehow, God willing, one day gather obscene amounts of money towards myself and build a fence to keep the poor relatives out. But is it morally just to hoard that money and not use it to ease the suffering of my fellow man? So, you know, Ultimately, is... true justice has to have those two things meeting, legal justice and moral yes, justice. Yes, because justice is, goes back to rights and responsibilities. <laughs> yes, it does. It's amazing how we can come back to those yeah, same things. Yeah, we've circled right back to strength and honor and protecting those who can't protect themselves mm-hmm. and all of those types of ideas and as law as laws that were enshrined in rome started out trying to do that pr- protecting those who needed protection mm-hmm. and that to me is the essence of true justice yes that's exactly it so uh, i think jean-luc picard would agree with you on that yeah so roddenberry and then the writers of this um, episode ralph willis and warley thorne are right squarely in the tradition of Rome. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> well, I think the best tradition of, of what most Americans would recognize as, as something that is uh, not purely American or even distinctly American, but something that is a principle that Americans should all be for. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's not necessarily unique. It's Like I said, it's not uniquely American, but I think it is very much in the American DNA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We recognize it as a truth. Yeah. yeah. Punishment good... should fit the crime. It's very much an American... It's in the Constitution. It's an right. American idea. Very much so. It and is... everyone deserves a fair trial. Yeah. 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 I think you're very right. That is that is wired into the DNA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's, that's already pretty philosophical and interesting, just on the first one we even talked about. That's right. Well, thank you. I, I wanted to get a good one to go out at the beginning. Robert, what do you got? Yeah, Robert. Let's, so I'll go let's, next. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, wow, you know, the first one that I had, uh, actually both of these really tie well into that whole discussion. Cool. Uh, I, I don't know that I want to do mine because now it's going to seem like it's piggybacking, but maybe that's a good thing. So just in the order that I chose them, uh, my, uh, first quote is from an episode called The Schizoid Man, season two, and, uh, it's written by Tracy Torme. uh, Tracy Torme uh, did quite a few episodes. Early episodes, first and second yeah, yeah. seasons. Because yeah. uh, so, the name is easily recognizable well, to me. He's the son of Mel, Mel Torme, well, yes, the singer. Well, yes, that too. Yeah. Uh, but this one, it, it goes right along with the justice quote. And this is, uh, no being, or as we would say, no man, is so important that he can usurp the rights of another. In other words, I'm not any better than you are. I don't get special treatment just because of how good I think I am, or how much better than you I think I am. Uh, that is, again, something that is very much an American uh, ideal. Again, not that others can't have it, but it's also one that we get from Rome. 
you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the legacy of Rome. That's the legacy of Rome when it comes to uh, the rights the, of a the, citizen. Yeah, the same Privilege idea. can never trump rights. It shouldn't. It's not supposed it should to. Not. Yeah, that's yes. right. It must not. Yes. Although it well, the very idea is in four words over the Supreme Court equal justice under law. Right. It's the same. The same idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, and properly understood, this is it's it's all the same. It, this really is all the same thing. Yes. Um, the the quote about uh, laws cannot be absolute uh, really is the same thing because equal justice under the law. Sounds like, well, isn't that an absolute? No, it's, it's not. Uh, because there are exceptions. Uh, to, because you may have the right to something, but if, you know, I may have a greater right. Because you may have the right to one thing that impinges my right to life. That's right. Therefore, your right cannot usurp my own. Yep. You're not so important. You know, just because... Uh, the president or member of Congress needs something, and you know the only way that can be done is to kill me. Doesn't mean that I have to die. That's right. You know they can't have my my last kidney just because they're important or powerful. That's right. And the law is supposed to ensure that that is exactly the way things are done. Yes, because that is all laws, even those that are the thou shalt nots. You know, laws against murder, theft, whatever. Uh, that's what they are. They're saying you have to leave that, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. You know, you cannot do as you would against them. Uh, it's not right. It's not. Moral. Otherwise, the strong would always prey upon the weak. Yes, they try it anyway. <clears throat> yes, I mean that, that always happens. Uh, but that's the point of laws yeah. is to try and prevent that. Laws cannot prevent things from happening. But what the purpose I think of law is to create the societal norms that make it unthinkable. Yeah. That's very well put, sir. Yeah. I like you that. You know, equality is one of those words like fairness that is very loaded. Mm-hmm. But, like you say, it's a the key concept is that there's value to each human person. Yes. Especially before the law. Yes. Mm-hmm. Especially before the law. Yes. We can't look at your contributions to society and say that you are more valuable than this person. Because that's not how we measure. Well, that would be Kodos the Executioner if we were to go Star Trek on this. Some are We like, are at Star Trek. That's right. a different generation. Well, exactly. You know, some some are, are valuable and will be permitted to live and others must die. That's it is a fact of life that some contribute more positively to a society than others. Sure. But we cannot quantify human beings mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. And that's what this quote is about. Is if you're saying that one person is more important than another, that's what you're doing. A person's value a person has value irrespective of their level of the production. inherent dignity of the human person. Ding ding ding. And ties right to one of your favorite things, Gospel of Matthew. Yes. Sure. Sheep and the goats. The sure. sheep and the goats. Yes. The, what you do to the least of these is you're doing you do to, to me. me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. I think you can say that law really is about that because law, when we talk about laws that are just, not just about, you know, well, you can only drive so fast here or you have to st- come to a complete stop, not a rolling stop, whatever. Yeah. It's really about the relationships, mm-hmm. how we interact with one another. Well, and, and there's there's concepts in law 
about how to distinguish between these things. Malum prohibitum versus malum in se. Things that are injurious in and of themselves versus things that we have just decided are wrong. You know, running that red light at three in the morning after you've looked and no one's coming, that's a malum prohibitum. You're not really hurting anyone. Um, but you ought not to do it. You ought not to do it because you could be wrong. You could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, you, and you don't have, want to make it a habit. You're right. You've, you've looked and, and you're... Maybe but that guy forgot to turn on his lights. Yeah, you forgot to, you know, you missed it, and and it's not a good idea. Whereas murder is always wrong. Yeah, it's injurious yeah, to yeah. someone in and of itself. The word itself contains the intention and the understanding yes. as well as the grave matter. Yep. Yes. So, yes, there are some things that are inherently evil acts. Yeah. Well, I think I need to go in a different direction with... Uh, with my okay, fine. Bring it yeah, on. I hope you're going to lighten it up because, man, we got deep there. <laughs> well, I don't, with Charlotte Picard, it's not. hard not to be, yeah. you know, the ones that we've kind of working on here, we didn't really pick any funny ones. Well, there's one or two, but we didn't we didn't select well, those we, as our options. I mean, you picked the list that we are choosing from, right. so exactly. if there are no funny ones, that's you. That's right, yeah. Well, there's one, but we, none of us picked it. Yeah, true. Well, well, I did use the quote earlier, Captain's Prerogative. That was actually used in a very humorous situation. That, that's exactly yeah. right, yes. Now, the, the one that always has jumped for me is uh, From Measure of a Man, written by Melinda Snodgrass. Uh, that's the episode where Data is being ordered to submit to some experiments and resigns his commission from Starfleet. And it's initially ruled that he's property. Yeah. He can't resign. And Picard begins to explore this as he's a sentient being with no rights, no freedom, therefore he's a slave. And if this scientist is successful in reproducing data, then we are creating a race of slaves. Mm -hmm. And Picard is set to defend data and his interests. And he says, the courtroom is a crucible. In it we burn away irrelevancies <laughs> until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. And I've always liked that. It's one of my favorite episodes, and I've always liked <clears throat> that part of it. It's one of the best episodes of the series, absolutely. Yeah, especially the second season. Yeah. Um, Melinda Snodgrass wrote a couple of early episodes. She wrote Up the Long Ladder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is a fun episode. It's but meant to be fun, but yes. Uh, I, I, I get where, you know... Uh, but I, I thought it was cool. Riker gets hooked up with a ginger, so you gotta like that. Irish, That's true. An Irish, yes, a beautiful Irish young lady with a um, sharp tongue. But uh, the redheads tend to have them. Yeah. yeah. But I always, I've, this has always stuck with me. It's one I, I've been. I'm not like the person who regularly quotes Star Trek listeners, but this one I always know, mm -hmm. and it's always about. Finding some way to get at the truth. I joked a couple episodes ago, um, you know, there is no truth, there's only perception. But, you know, we've always tried to stand against that idea. That's right, yeah, we rail against that. I mean, that. that's, that's part of the Snakes and Otters Brotherhood, is that we're trying to discover real truth here. 
So, you know, a podcast is a crucible, mm-hmm. and we're burning away irrelevancies until we find the truth. Yeah, pure product for all time. So, you know, that's part of what... I don't know, I think we leave a lot of uh, irrelevancy on the table. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, yeah, times. at times. At times. <laughs> yeah, but it's part of the fun of it. But, it I mean, we're, we're working at it all the time in nearly every episode, no matter what we start talking about. Here we are, you know, we're diving into, again, this, this was TV. This was Episodic, 1989. Yeah. They're like, oh, hey, I think we can sell a Star Trek show to syndication and make some money. But they got good writers. They did. And good actors. Mm-hmm. They also stuck and, with it through the rough first two seasons. Yeah. Right. And, and made an impression and brought out things that speak to people and they spoke to us in a certain way um, you know that, that that inspire us and push us and feed this thing that we do i think that's an essential ingredient of science fiction and any fantastical story mm-hmm. because the setting the circumstances uh, the villains whatever you are raging against are often so impossible for yeah. our daily lives that you have to sprinkle a lot of that sort of thing you know they don't have to do that in friends or big bang theory but I think you do have to do it with an hour-long semi-dramatic science fiction series because otherwise it's hard to relate to. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things Star Trek has always been good at is making it, giving you something to think about. You don't have to, but you do. I think it's one of the things that, um, to tie it something more recent, the Marvel movies have done a great job of because they have shown heroes, distinct heroes, distinct yeah. villains. Some villains who are flawed heroes in their own way with Loki. Yeah. You know, he's a great character. He's a villain, but you also pull for him because he, you want to like him. Yeah. Um, Even Ultron <clears throat> has, at, at, at least initially, this idea of something positive. It was right. cre- created with that intention. Yeah, it, yeah, it's supposed to guard the Earth. It's supposed to shield the Earth. one of the most human characters in all of the movies. Mm-hmm. James Spader does a great job bringing oh, that amazing. to life. Yeah, and yeah. He, 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 human um, in the worst ways. And human in the worst ways. Um, you look at, at Endgame, that is a... a first of all, I think it's one of the... I think it's the best of all the Marvel movies. But I think it's also really great for that uh, primal good versus evil. And it is, you know, I've said it many times privately and probably on on the podcast, but when Cap picks up that hammer and starts pounding the crap out of Thanos, to me it's one of the greatest cinematic moments because it is the little guy standing up to the big guy. Mm Mm-hmm. And taking him on. Yeah, the ultimate bully against the ultimate champion against bullies. Right. And it's that same kind of thing. You know, all of these things that we've talked about here so far, uh, we've talked a lot of, I mean, 
we get on a theme, and man, we really hit it. <laughs> yeah. Even though, even we don't even intend to. Uh, it's how well we can really work together. Uh, but yeah, you know, it, hitting those things like you were talking about um, that are essential to what it means to yeah. be human. And, and just as a side thing, Planet of the Apes and some of the other science fiction we've talked about do that, but I think it's missing in Star Wars. Hmm. It, there's 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 a void where that makes that more of a fantasy than a science yeah. fiction because well, there's not that it's still science fiction because of the nature of what it is but you're right in I think in that it doesn't it's have not really concerned with moral questions right it's 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 an action movie right yeah although sometimes there's not that much action but well, I mean, it's it just depends on the movie yeah. but I mean it's not dealing with the the eternal questions but to be fair the only reason any of the star trek movies do that is because they're just super long episodes yeah the series established that being part and parcel for what you do in yeah. star trek right and they now, just continue but is that. the best the best uh science fiction does that it's, it's speculative it, fiction it, yeah, yes it put it makes you question your circumstances. It seems or, to be that. Or, yeah, or, or see them in a new you. light. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, Star Wars, in many respects, is just rewarmed over Western adventure stories. I mean, Steven Spielberg often said that Star Wars, the first one, is kind of a marriage between The Hidden Fortress, the Japanese movie, and The Searchers, from uh, which was John Ford, with, yeah. with John Wayne and uh, Christopher... Uh, I almost said Christopher Pike, Jeffrey Hunter, who played Christopher Pike. Uh, that he, who Spielberg considered that the greatest movie of all time, hmm. period. Mm -hmm. And Star Wars was heavily reliant on it because they're both action-oriented. Yeah. Right. I, I would say that most of the time you're going to see very few movies, whether they are um, uh, based on television series or not, science fiction or not, are not going to touch on these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, unless they that is the intent from the beginning. The reason the Marvel movies do it is because it is a series. If you you know if you look at any one individual movie, <clears throat> especially like in the beginning when they're establishing things, there's probably less of that. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the overall arc of things, you've got time and space to do it. You literally yes, <laughs> I, know. I thought you liked yes. that. Yes, uh, you've got a much broader canvas to paint your philosophy on yeah. and maybe they're, they're they may not even be trying to do that but i think you you, you know you get to good that. writers get to do that and you know you bring up a good point too because when you say star trek kind of does that maybe you've kind of nailed why the new reboot of star trek in the theater with jj abrams to me falls flat because it's missing a lot of that moral core I think it doesn't have it to the it's extent. It sort of fizzled out, yeah. I do not think it, it has it to the extent that the other iterations of yeah. Star Trek do. I mean, we always love Star Trek as an action Well, yes, must show. have that. But, uh, well, yeah, know, these are the, absolutely action movies. Yeah, so these are action not, movies without any... This is not the motion picture. To or so, The Wrath of Khan, either, though. Well, which had, sort of it was, well, because literally, this, you know, this, well, it they was. They tried, yes. Mm. Uh, but it didn't... It was just a little too... Heavy trying to ham-fisted to, to not that I think it was just a little tried a little too hard to recapture 
the earlier movie with this new this, version of yeah, it. Yeah, just to try to drum up the same emotion we've already had once. But it, you, even though the characters are theoretically the same, the actors are not, so they're not really. Yeah. Uh, it's harder to care about the death of, of James T. Kirk in this because, one, we've already seen this. We know this is not going to be permanent. Mm-hmm. And this Kirk we've only seen once before. Right. And it is just not the same. It's right. not even though you say it is, it's not. It's not. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, we really got way off the off yeah, track there. Yeah, well, that's that's quite the rabbit hole. Francis, go back to your uh, second one, man. Oh yeah. I, I mean it there is. were so many we could have chosen, but the it one is. this is one of the episodes that put an emotional hook in me. And this is before I had children, mind you, because this was the year before we got married when it came out. But as a father now, it even chills me more. This is the episode entitled The Offspring mm. from season three where Data <coughs> procreates. He creates a child, a daughter, Lol. And the, it has got to be some of the most heart-wrenching episodes that they ever did. Brent, Brent Spiner pulls it off so well, but Jean-Luc Picard figures into this very, very tightly because Data creates an android of himself uh, with the positonic brain drawn from him, which is, as we're hearing in the new Picard series, actually, and throughout the old Next Generation, has never been done and apparently can't be done. And the fact that he's actually done it is is a groundbreaking moment. And Starfleet, in the person of Admiral Haftel, who comes aboard, basically says, no, we're going to take this, and- this new android back to Starfleet. And no data, you can't come. And Data says... It's the measure of a man all over again. In many respects, exactly right. They're trying to take away rights on that. But it gets to the point where he says... Where it reaches the fever pitch. And Haftel basically says, We're going to do this. We don't really care what you have to say. And Picard tells Data, No, hold your ground. Uh, we order a child, a man to hold over his hand over his child to the state, not while I'm his captain. There are times, sir, and here's the quote, there are times, sir, when men of good conscience cannot blindly follow orders. And that to me, it that is quintessential Jean-Luc Picard because he recognizes that there is a moral code that we are all bound by and power does not give you the right to usurp that from other people. I don't care if they're like you, or not. That's kind of the, that issue that, that's going through here. Because he's different, because he's synthetic, you believe he does not have the same rights that any other non-synthetic would have. Because he has gold skin instead of pink. That's, that's yeah, to, to bring it down to its lowest level, that's exactly mm-hmm. it. Of course, one half of his face is white and the other, the other side is black. black. And yours is the other way around. That's right, yes. We're revisiting old territory. This was done far better, of course, than yes, that one was. Yes. This actually... Oh, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Because, because that part is actually a corollary to the story, mm-hmm. which is the loss of a child. It is. It, you don't know that until the end, because yes. you don't really know where it's going to go. And that's a tribute uh, to the screenwriter on that. That's Renee. Eshivaria, who had did so many of those uh, mm-hmm. great episodes around that time, uh, you don't really know that you're going to actually get to see him, a man who has no emotions, mind you, yeah. theoretically, lose, yeah, lose his child right then and there, who thanks him for her life as she dies in his arms. 
I'm sorry, but you cannot be unmoved. You cannot help but be moved by that moment. Mm-hmm. There's Especially a great, if you're a parent. Yes. There's a great bit uh, earlier in that episode between Picard and Data. And Picard, it, it's one of the, the funniest things you'll see because of Data's response. Because Data is so very childlike in, in yes. himself. And a straight man. Completely. And he's the perfect straight man. And Picard is in the captain's office with with Data, and he's like, Data, why, I wish you would have come to me to talk to me about this, and Data's response, Captain, I've not noticed any of the other crew coming to you before they decide whether or not to have children. And Picard is like, I don't know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) Checkmate. He got you. He got you. You It's my pair of jacks. Yeah. Yeah. And that right there is a a great, it's Picard trying to, because Picard knows where this is going to go, because he, he, Obviously, because he's read the script, but also <laughs> because his character's smart enough to realize we just went through this last year with you. Mm-hmm. You don't think this is going to be a problem just a year later? I mean, in a way, right. this is we dated not thinking through the consequences. We may have set a legal precedent, but that does not mean there are not forces allied against right. us. Most times, active. most of the time, a single precedent is not enough. That's right. Yeah, the, the, the Emancipation Proclamation only worked. In certain places. Right. So. Basically where they couldn't enforce it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, so. Just where it was militarily advantageous to the Union uh, is the only place they could enforce it. So. But it also shows Picard missed the point. The very point that he made in that other yeah. previous episode. For him to say that to Data, he, of course, when Data says that back to him, he gets it immediately. He says, You're, you know, he puts his hand between his head in his hands and he recognizes you're right data i should know better yeah you know but it's that's the picard we know well it's the sort of thing that because again he's not a father and he's looking at it from the the commanding officer you know he's looking at it like i do not want to do you know how much paperwork is going to be involved in this that's kind of the mindset where he's looking at this and he's looking at the bureaucratic hassles yeah but at the end Mm-hmm. When she's real, that's right. She's chosen a gender, that's right, and, which is how very prescient. When she has, when the android that he has created, yeah. because at first it's a genderless android, right? It looks that does not look a human at all, other than being bipedal. Other than being bipedal, and the fact that you know, why did you not create something taller than five feet? But all right, whatever. <laughs> and so the, the android chooses a young female as the the, the what it's going to present as. Uh, which is interesting about Andrew. You know, you can literally choose your gender, but different species thing. too. Species too. Yes, because it was even species choice. That's correct. Almost chose a Klingon. Yes. Yes. And an Andorian. And an Andorian. And an Andorian. Right, yes. Yeah. The only time we really uh, got to see a good representation. I don't think we ever saw another Andorian on Next Generation, did we? Uh, not that I can recall. Yeah. I have to think about that. Not, not until it's the, really till Enterprise that we get to see it well done. Yeah. But anyways, uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, rabbit hole, rabbit hole. Yes, <laughs> you know, until she's truly real and she's got a personality, this doesn't come home to him. That's right. That's part of the lesson to be taken from this. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't have to wait for something for you to be able to familiarize yourself. No, 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 not even familiarize. That just means you you know a little bit more about her. You shouldn't have to be able to identify with the person that we're talking about. You shouldn't be able to say, oh, they're like me. This goes beyond skin color, right. you know, as the example used before. Uh, because 
you know, we all share a very distinctly pasty white skin color because we don't get outside very much. <laughs> the sun's <laughs> the enemy. Sun is the enemy, mm-hmm. yes. You're way too Northern European, as you like to say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we're still different, but we still, rec- I mean, we're enough alike to where, you know, yeah. we recognize that in each other. Until Lol, which uh, meant beloved. Beloved, that's yes. correct. That's the name that, um, uh, that Data gives her. Until Lol looks human mm-hmm. and looks like a real person she's not for picard right and so his growth through this episode is is kind of telling as well mm-hmm. uh, and that's why it's fitting it, it's nice because in a way this is not terribly heavy-handed but that underlying message is weaved through this episode very well that's right when it's when it's done when it's written well that's when they nail it and this is one of There's, the greatest episodes of the series it's i have a, it's a Bugs Bunny episode. It's working on multiple levels. That's exactly yeah, right. It, right. Well, it weaves a narrative about life. Mm-hmm. Um, and relationships. Life, uh, the dignity of life. That's right. Uh, and like you said, it, it tacks right onto measure of a man. Mm-hmm. When you define life, well, what is life? Yeah, they don't make that connection explicit in the episode, but for those of us who have followed it, you know, they're very connected to each other. Oh, yeah. Um, thematically. Yes. Yes. So, okay. So, um, how many was that? That was your second? That's my second. Robert's Robert, got go one for more. it. Okay. Again, we're, we're just really hitting the same theme. This one is from Man of the People. Uh, this is an episode where I like and I don't like. I'm with you. I'm not a huge it's, fan. It's... In a, because in a way, this is the episode where Counselor Troy is mentally raped. Uh, there's a, a, not necessarily a secret telepath, but there's a guy who, who basically insinuates himself into her mind. And she changes. She has personality changes because but of this. He's drawing energy from her to enable him to do his political yeah. things that he does. And so... Uh, she becomes takes on a totally different personality. She becomes a wanton little trollop. Uh, she becomes very uh, aggressive, very uh, sarcastic and antagonistic. And it's all because of what happens to her. He's feeding off her like a vampire. Right. Telepathically. His excuse is that it enables him to do good things. Yes. Because he's a, he's a very... He's a negotiator. Right? Yeah, he's yeah. an important person on his planet. And he's aboard, there's a negotiations going yeah, see, on. And he has somebody who comes with him that normally is who he uses for this, if I remember correctly. It's been That's a while since I've seen this. It is, and he bring, bring, brings him aboard an older woman. He says it's his mother, but it's actually his previous victim who dies early in the episode. Yes. And he latches on to Troy because he has to have somebody to draw. And she's an empath, so it works out. Right. So, the, you know, that's how a lot of it happens. But essentially, it's like a mental rape. Yeah, he sucks everything out of her. She almost dies. And she almost dies. And while there's some very funny scenes in there, you know, it's very serious. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's uncomfortable because of really what's done to yeah. her. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily even good writing, though. I mean, so I mean, it's got some good points. Marina Sirtis liked it because she's got a lot of things to do in it. Yes, it, she, she, she got to display her. her acting ability. Right. And it wasn't just about big boobs, uh, which for her... <coughs> Please move on. Please move on. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the well, lovely and gracious Marina Sirtis. Yes. I mean, she, she is hey, very uh, lovely. She's, she's, great, she's one of those, I mean, truly say this, you know, because we've met her a few times at that's right, cons. Dimensions. We've yeah. seen her talk. Have her autograph. Have her autograph. Absolutely. Have a picture of her and me together that is autographed. 
Because hmm. I got to see her a couple of times. She really was really good. not. She's a really and she is. She's wonderful a, lady. She, she is. She's very funny, and I, I really love listening to her talk about her time in Trek. Her husband passed away recently. Really? Yes. Very. Oh, very. I'm so very. Sorry yes. For very that. suddenly. Uh, that's he, the same one she's been with for a long time. That's right. Time. She, they actually met on set. Yeah. Uh, he was in the episode from the third season, Who Watches the Watchers. Oh, yeah. It's about the proto-Vulcan people they Yeah, visit. yeah. And he Another was, good episode. The Mintakins. Yeah, the Mintakins. You're very good, sir. Wow. You have pulled wow. that one out of, I don't know what bodily orifice it came well, from. Well, that's, that's one of my other favorite episodes. Really? Really? Yes. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the, uh, yeah it was, it's only been a few weeks now. And, uh, pl- yeah, she's uh, a wonderful lady. And this was very sudden because uh, he was like sixty-one years of age. Uh, I think it was it's just, you know he woke up that way. I mean, she woke up next to him that way, from what she's wow. saying. So very sorry to hear. Very that. sorry to hear that. Uh, we wish her all the very best, of course. So the quote: "You cannot explain away a wantonly immoral act because you think that it is connected to some higher purpose." Yeah. That's what that episode is, and yeah. that's what it is because he's he using it. her to do what he thinks is is a, is a greater good, and this is a, a a principle that the church talks about constantly. You cannot yeah. commit evil in order to do good, it, because it, it, the reason why you do things morally is as important as what you do, because if you have bad intentions, it taints the act mm-hmm. or if you do something bad to enable you to do the act it taints the act as well so it's an important message that's lost in today's world mm-hmm. it is because uh, the there's a lot of people means, yeah a lot of people wrongs, justifying a lot right. of things saying again we've talked about the savior complex and i'm saving the world you oppose me therefore you are the devil Yep. Uh, that's the same destroyed. thing. Yeah, it's that's exactly the same. demonization of someone who disagrees with a policy you promote because you feel a policy saves the world, whatever yes. it is. So, and a, a powerful message for, for today's world. Right. You know, this takes it to, to the stark extreme about, you know, what, yeah. you know, so if you want to apply this to a real world, this is in a single sentence why Hitler was wrong. Yeah. yeah, because that's, he's making what he a, considers his perfect society, but to do it, he kills six million Jews and seven million others. Yeah. You know, some thirteen million people total in the in the Holocaust. Not to mention the nearly fifty million people that died overall with the war, yeah. with the entire war. Yeah, all because he's trying to create his perfect society, and that is the epitome of mm-hmm. what this is about. Even though the show was about one person. Uh, doing something bad to one other person. Yeah. Morally, they're just as bad. Mm-hmm. It's just one is 50 million times the one act. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how much good, theoretically, can come of whatever it is you're trying right. to do. Mm-hmm. Because too often, in the human sphere, what is good is often subjective. Because what you, because what is what is good? What does it mean that something is good? Just that I like it? Yeah. Well, what if I'm a psychopath and I like to slice up bodies while they're still alive? Another loaded word like fairness and equality. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that can be. There are things that are moral good, but even that, when you try to, to come up with examples, it's hard to not be subjective. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you know, you, it's very difficult to talk about what is good except in general principles. Uh, you know, when we talk about things that are good, uh, we can only say things that uplift. Well, how do you define uplift? Uh, things that are moral. Well, yeah. whose morals? Uh, things that are, uh, that, that do good for others, help take care of others. Well, somebody might say, well, if you do that for them, they're never going to learn how to do for themselves. How is that good? So good, while we all say, yes, things are absolutely can be good, mm-hmm. we're not all going to agree on what they are. Yeah, the search because that's how evil comes about. Nobody wakes for... up saying, "I'm going to be evil today." <laughs> I mean, you don't, because yeah. everybody's the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, Villain... every act has to be justified in some way. Villains yeah. do not see themselves as villains, right? You know, they see themselves as simply committed people to a certain certain issue. Victor Von Noom like... does not think he is a supervillain. Absolutely not. He thinks he's Lando Molari did not think he was evil. Well, maybe at the end he did he because he repented. Yes. But Victor Von Doom thinks he's going to save the world, and he's the only one who can. Yes. And anyone who opposes him must be destroyed. Yes. We're going to do a Victor Von Doom episode one of these days. He, he, there's a lot of fruitful stuff there. There's a lot of good stuff. But we're still on Jean-Luc Picard today. We are. Yeah. Last one. Last one. You last get the last, last leg. I'm going to chew on a little bit more of this good Four Roses bourbon here that I have in the bottom of my glass. Four Roses is some very fine bourbon. That's good stuff. Um, this one is another one about seeking the truth. It's amazing how we keep coming back. Yeah, and that's is there truth, or is only there is there only perception? That's what we're trying to find, trying to figure this out. This one is from the first duty. Um, this is kind of the final. Wesley Crusher sort of there was episode. there was one more uh, uh, in the seventh season, yeah. But this was one of his guest appearances. and one movie. That's right, yeah. Uh, this uh, he he ended the series. Will Wheaton left the series early in the fourth season, but he came back for two guest spots appearance. The second one uh, was eh, it wasn't all that great. Uh, he meets the traveler again, and they go off, and uh, you kind of undo what the, his arc seemed to have been. But this one was awesome. Yeah, this is a good episode. This is a very good episode when he says Starfleet Academy. And, and, and we talked about this a little bit in show prep. Will Wheaton took a ton of crap over the Wesley Crusher character. Right. Pretty much undeserved. Yeah, he was not responsible for how he was written or that or how or how it was conceived. Yeah. Um, he did the best he could with what he was handed. And he's a fine actor. He always has been. He did yeah. very well in he, many... This one he really did a good job Absolutely. With. It was fantastic. Uh, this is the episode where he is at the Academy... Mm-hmm. And the accident during the flight display uh-huh. happens. And, and someone are, is killed. Yeah. yeah, they're covering up about what really happened to the death uh, of a cadet. Because they're doing a forbidden maneuver that's extremely dangerous and they knew you're not supposed to the do Col- it. Colvord. Colburn Starburst. Yeah, Colvord Starburst. And Picard eventually figures all this out. Right. But he's not going to drop the dime on Wesley. He's going to let Wesley. Wesley's got to own up to it on his own. And Picard tells him the first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. That's so. Yeah, there's perspective, but there's also personal truth. Mm -hmm. There is. 
There is still truth. There is what you did, mm -hmm. uh, what your actions were. Um, so this ties, you know, right to everything we've talked about, right to strength and honor mm -hmm. and uh, what we admire about heroes like Chuck Heston and, uh, you or know, Tom Moore. or Tom Moore or Aquinas or anybody like that. Um, this is a Ronald D. Moore and Noreen Shankar episode. The two of the, we talked about Ron Moore a little bit earlier. This is one of those moments. He should get the last word because he really <laughs> was that good. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, ties right into, you know, everything we talk about. And, and this was, this was an episode that really made you feel it. Oh, it did, yeah, yeah. and it, it really turned things around in many respects. This is one of those episodes where you don't hate Wesley Crusher. You you admire him, and you feel for him, which is, yeah. that's a good story, the way it's well yeah. written. Picard comes off at his best at this moment, because he is both furious and committed to the truth, and he wants his young... He's a little self-righteous, as often when he is has the, 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 the best lines... Yeah. To express himself. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that he is self-righteous here because this is a very good quote, but you know, often it's the yeah. same kind of situation. Well, he, 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 you can sense, and this is the, the genius of Patrick Stewart's performance, you can sense, because of the backstory, he is so disappointed in Wesley. Yes. Because he is... He knows him. He knows him. He knows Wesley. He's in many respects been his greatest influence, one of his greatest influences. Well, he's the father figure. Exactly. Of, of his best friend's son who has disappointed him in not living up to the very thing he has tried to teach him for those four years they were yeah. together. So, yeah, it, it brings that home in a powerful moment. And there's a conflict with another version of the truth in this episode, in that the cadet leader of mm -hmm. the flight... Locarno. Yeah, um, is, is trying to convince Wesley that the real truth is, we're a team, mm -hmm. you always stick by your team... No matter what. Right. That's Locarno's version of the truth. And Picard has to say to Wesley, No. There's another version of the truth that's higher than that. That's right. And Locarno stays stays true. He was played by Robert Duncan McNeil, who would go on to play uh, Tom Paris Tom in Paris, Voyager. Yeah. This is one of his early uh, roles. And Locarno gets expelled, and he does not turn in his conspirators. And Wesley at the end feels so terrible, he says... He kept his word. He didn't betray the well, team. That's because I think in this episode, there's several things. I'll let you guys go on because I didn't want to break in, but I'm afraid I've lost some of the points that I wanted to make because <laughs> there are several things here. So I'll try and work backwards. So when we're talking about here, Locarno's truth versus Wesley's truth versus Picard's truth, this is not truth we're talking about. These are values. That's it. Because for... Well said, sir. For Locarno, the value is, I'm loyal to my team. I cannot break that bond, which is a worthwhile value. Mm -hmm. However, admitting that you have done something wrong because it has led to the death of someone is also a worthwhile value, mm -hmm. which is more important. I think you could make a valid argument either way. Sure, yeah. Because... What is it's most the episode so good? And what what is more important here, assigning blame or something else? Uh, you know, getting because there's a difference between and this is where the where I stop myself from interjecting. Uh, 
Um, when you were talking about, uh, Martin, when you were talking about um, different kinds of truth, and you talked about personal truth and what, ha what have you, and what struck me was not that you were talking about truth, what, what you were really talking about was the facts. Yeah. Facts and truth are not the same thing. Because facts are what happened. Facts are 2 plus 2 equals 4. I think real truth, that capital T truth that Picard is really talking about, uh, especially when he talks about personal truth, that's meaning. That's what things mean. That's uh, those eternal questions. It's, you know, what meaning do we take from this? And the meaning I think Picard is going for is you have to own up to your own mistakes. You have to take responsibility for your actions. Whereas, which is a very good value, very good truth, uh, if you want to use that word. Whereas Locarno's uh, loyalty to the team is also a something that has deep meaning. That you know, when you are a member of a team, especially life and death, that is you know, life and death instances. That's an important thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you know, there's truth, but there's facts. Facts and truth aren't always the same. Because some of what he's talking about is facts. Yeah. But that's not always... And facts can be tempered by your perception of them as well. Yes. So Because your perception is what gives them meaning. Yeah. Well, you did a great job there, man. That was terrific stuff. I like that. We picked a good one to end on. That's one of the best episodes and one of the best quotes. Yeah, that's a terrific uh, rehabilitation of, of the Crusher character. So, it was, yeah, that was, it really was. So, uh, Francis, what is up for next week? Next week, we're going to go back to history. That's uh, in our in our rotation. Month, yeah. We finished our Rome series. We've done our four episodes. It seems like we've been doing that for a long time, and we have. Uh, and four I think months. we, we yeah, that's right. And we did a good job with it, I think. But we're going to completely shift gears this time. Uh, we're going to kind of reach back to the Robert Kennedy episode we did. What if? Uh, we don't think we finished a lot of that. And we're going to kind of take it in a slightly different direction. It's not going to be a what if. We're going to talk about that 1972 election that we talked a lot about in that episode. And in the reality that we are in, what really happened, and what was all about that? George McGovern, why, he just, you know, what kind of, just how bad a candidate was he? Yeah. And how did Nixon win a landslide re-election post-Watergate? Yeah. Watergate was being known around this time, and yet the very thing that brought him down is only a short period of time before he is re-elected re in Lansdowne. What happened with all that? We're going to explore yeah. that in this next yeah. episode. It, it's, it's an election that I'm kind of throwing my hands up and going, I don't get this. That's right, and, that, so and, and, I, and I think that's a very common understanding. And I think we're going, to, we're going to tackle that and see if we can make a little sense out of it. As best awesome. we can. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us here every week at Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Be sure to spread the word on your social media accounts. Follow us and retweet us. We are on Instagram and on Twitter at Snakes and Otters. Let your friends know that they can find us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube. Just search Snakes and Otters Podcast to find us, and please remember to leave us your comments and reviews. It helps people find us. And you can always send us an email at snakesandotterspodcast at gmail.com. I'm Martin. I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. 
Catch us next week. Same snake time, same otter channel. <laughs>